June 15, 1929, Fort Riley, Kansas. Mrs. Anana Shepard, wife of Army Doctor Major Charles A. Shepard, lies severely ill at the Army Hospital. Her life cannot be saved. Unsure of the cause of death, doctors at the hospital ask for Dr. Shepard's consent to do an autopsy. He refuses, saying that his wife would not want to be mutilated. The commanding general at Fort Riley intervenes. Zanana's organs and fluids are preserved for analysis. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Prison City Murders, a true crime podcast from Leavenworth, Kansas. I'm your host, Jana Goodman. Warning, this program may contain descriptions of violence, which may be disturbing to some listeners. There will be murder. Host may hurt listeners' feelings, give unsolicited advice, and be judgmental. Views and opinions expressed are those of the host and do not reflect the position of pretty much anybody else. Listener discretion and a functioning sense of humor are advised. As we've discussed, Leavenworth, Kansas has the well-deserved nickname of Prison City, USA. And no, I do not currently reside in any of our prisons. Also, I am not an expert in forensics or legal matters or psychology. I'm just a true crime fan who researches murders and tries to be accurate so I can share what interests me with you. Opinions on this podcast are not professional ones. Listeners, as I researched this case, I didn't find any books or podcasts. The sources for this episode are mainly newspaper articles from the time of the crime. The case was covered extensively all over the country, but I especially like the coverage in the Denver Post and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. The links to those two papers, as well as some other sources, are posted in the show notes. Okay, enough talking about other stuff. Let's talk about murder. Zanana McCoskey Shepherd. That first name is Z-E-N-A-N-A is born in Springfield, Missouri on February 21st, 1892, daughter of Fanny Louise and Thomas McCoskey. She has two brothers, Curtis and Theodore. The family moves to California. Zanana's first marriage is in 1910 when she's only 18 years old 
to Fayette Fargo Collins. The marriage does not last. After her divorce, Zanana becomes a nurse. She works at a tuberculosis sanatorium in Needles, California. In 1916, she marries the owner of the facility, widower and father of a teenage daughter, Dr. Charles A. Shepard, a man over 20 years her senior. Dr. Shepard serves in the U.S. Army during World War I. Tuberculosis was a serious problem during the war among the troops. Artillery and gunfire were not the only dangers soldiers faced. The crowded, poorly ventilated, and unsanitary trenches provided an ideal breeding ground for tuberculosis. As a specialist in the disease, Dr. Shepard is of great service to the military. In 1918, he is accepted into the U.S. Army Medical Corps and embarks on a distinguished career in the service. At the time of Zanana's death in 1929, he is stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas, a large infantry post in Kansas. That's maybe half an hour's drive north of Interstate 70 in Kansas, between Salina and Topeka, if you know the area. The nearest town is Junction City, Kansas. Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas, is about 30 miles away, or 50 kilometers. That's not exact. I'm kind of going on memory here. When I was first married, my husband was stationed at Fort Riley. We lived in Manhattan, fondly known as the Little Apple. It was, still is, a wonderful place to live, dominated by K-State about 20-some thousand students. Junction City, on the other hand, is not quite so pleasant. More typical of towns with lots of young soldiers. Pretty rowdy. At least in the 70s when I lived there, it was kind of a wide-open sleazy place. Lots of pawn shops and bars and seedy used car lots. The Shepherds live on post in officers' quarters. Quarters on an army post can vary from really nice to barely adequate. My guess, 20s and 30s at Fort Riley, the quarters are probably adequate. But Charles is a major, so they probably live in a decent apartment with other officers and their families. If I remember right, the older quarters at Fort Riley were attractive limestone buildings. Living on an army post, especially one that is located really in the middle of nowhere like Fort Riley, is like living in a country town, one where people move in and out all the time. In that time period, officers and their wives have a rigorous social schedule. Lots of parades, ceremonies, cocktail parties, formal dances, teas, and bridge games. And everybody knows everybody else's business. Things have changed in the military over time, but back in Zanana's day, the social structure in the military is rigid. 
Officers don't socialize with lower-ranking troops, and that carries over to their wives. Sanana's circle is limited to friends who are officers' wives. This leaves a pretty small group, and most of them are likely much older than Zanana, and many of them have children. Charles and Zanana never have children. This is still the Prohibition era. Alcohol won't be legal in the U.S. again until 1933. But by this time, even on army posts, people find ways to drink. One of her army wife friends relates the story of a typical afternoon when she and Zanana go to Junction City to buy some malt and figs. At Zanana's quarters at Fort Riley, they make beer and wine. By many accounts, Zanana was quite a drinker. There is disagreement on how heavily Zanana drinks, but from all I read, I think she's what we'd call a functioning alcoholic. Able to keep up appearances, but it was probably a struggle, especially in the isolated little community of army officers at Fort Riley. By 1929, the Shepherds have been married 13 years, and their relationship is not all hearts and flowers. In fact, one of them may want out of the marriage. Charles Angle Shepherd. That middle name might be Angel. I'm not sure. It's A-N-G-E-L-L. Is born in Canada. October 9, 1871, the ninth of 14 children. He's a pretty ordinary-looking man, not ugly, not handsome, just an unassuming, balding man with a long nose, sometimes sporting a dapper mustache. He graduates from medical school at the University of Buffalo in 1896 and marries Clara Childs. In 1899, they have a daughter, also named Clara, but she goes by her middle name, Edna. Charles is bored with the life of a small-town family doctor. There is a turning point in his life when his sister dies of tuberculosis in California. Charles becomes something of an expert in the disease. He decides to open his own sanatorium in California for tuberculosis sufferers. He and his wife and daughter relocate to Needles, California. Needles is way down in the southern desert part of California, an ideal place for a tuberculosis sanatorium. Shepard's medical practice is fairly successful. He and Clara and Edna live a comfortable life. Tragically and ironically, in 1913, Clara dies of tuberculosis. Three years later, in 1916, Charles marries Zanana, a nurse at his sanatorium. According to the Society page in the Needles newspaper, daughter Edna sometimes visits her father and his new wife. However, she lives in Los Angeles. 
I'm guessing going to school? She's 17. Stunningly, and again ironically, Edna dies a year after the marriage of tuberculosis. Dr. Shepard later says that her death was the impetus for him to join the army as a way to escape the sad memories of the deaths of his wife and daughter in California. During their marriage, Zanana and Charles are stationed in a variety of places, first in Arizona, then several years at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital in Denver, Colorado. After that, the couple live in the Philippines, where Charles conducts a study on tuberculosis among Filipino soldiers. At Fort Riley, Kansas, Charles is a physician primarily concerned with infectious diseases, such as TB, among soldiers there. In the fall of 1928, the Army sends Major Shepard to a course on aviation medicine at Brooks Army Airfield near San Antonio, Texas. Brooks was an important location for training and development in aviation medicine. Later on, it will be very important in aerospace medicine. Just a couple of major advances to come out of studies there were the MRI machine and LASIK eye surgery. In the first half of the 20th century, what we know as the U.S. Air Force today was still part of the Army. The Army Air Corps is what it was called. Brooks Army Airfield later becomes Brooks Air Force Base when the Air Force becomes its own independent branch of service in the United States military. That was in 1947. Brooks Air Force Base closes in 2011. The base is redeveloped into the little community of Brooks, Texas. While in San Antonio, Charles meets a vivacious blonde stenographer who works at Brooks Army Airfield. She is Miss Grace Brandon, 23. Yes, 36 years younger than Charles. By all accounts and by their correspondence, Charles is immediately infatuated with Grace. In November 1928, Charles and Grace take a romantic getaway to Mexico. He confides that he wants to marry Grace as soon as he can get a divorce from Zanana. He showers her with attention and gifts. When he returns to Fort Riley and his wife in November, the affair with Grace continues. Charles rents a private box at the post office. In December, he meets Grace in Texas and gives her a ring. Back at Fort Riley, Dr. Shepard begins to express serious worry about his wife's drinking and her mental and physical health. He even writes to Zanana's brothers about his concerns. Of course, the drinking is an ongoing issue in the marriage. This would certainly have an effect on Zanana's mental health. 
Charles goes even farther, suggesting she may be suicidal. On the physical side, she is known to have a great deal of trouble with her teeth. In the spring of 1929, three of her teeth are seriously infected. A mercury mouthwash is prescribed. Yes, mercury mouthwash. Mercury is poisonous, right? Yes, yes it is. Mercury poisoning is a thing. Nowadays, we mostly hear about it coming from eating contaminated seafood. According to Amy Philippi, a professor of biology at Unity College in Unity, Maine, quote, most notable are the effects of mercury on the brain. Mercury poisoning can result in hearing and vision changes, personality changes, memory problems, seizures, or paralysis. When children are exposed to mercury, they may have developmental or muscle coordination problems. Mercury interferes with the calcium channels that cells, especially nerve and muscle cells, use to carry out their functions." Unquote. According to Wikipedia, the term mad as a hatter, as in the mad hatter of Alice in Wonderland, may have its origin in mercury poisoning hat makers got from long-term exposure to mercury products used in felt making. Quote, a late 19th century example of the effect occurred with hatters in Danbury, Connecticut, who developed a condition known locally as the Danbury Shakes, characterized by slurred speech, tremors, stumbling, and in extreme cases, hallucinations, unquote. Sounds a little like someone who's really drunk. Anyway, mercury, bad stuff, right? Well, in Zanana Shepherd's time, mercury was believed to have beneficial effects on health in small doses. If you look at old newspapers, you can find advertisements for a powder called Tethina, T-E-E-T-H-I-N-A, designed to relieve teething pain in infants by rubbing it on their gums. Its main ingredient, mercury. So, it wouldn't be unusual for a dentist to prescribe mercury mouthwash and even warn the patient to be careful not to swallow any. This is what happened with Sonata. Mercury was also prescribed as a treatment for syphilis. Mercury bichloride tablets were available over the counter. No prescription necessary in the early 1900s. There's an interesting online article called Coffins in a Bottle by Jacob Roberts about this subject. 
a notorious incident in Paris resulted in regulation of mercury as a medicine, even making the pills coffin-shaped. Quote, Olive Thomas was the prototypical jazz age flapper, a star of Broadway's Ziegfeld Follies and many Hollywood films. Thomas married actor Jack Pickford, brother of famous silent actress Mary Pickford, in secret in 1916. Their relationship was passionate, but it was reckless and strained. In August 1920, the couple sailed to Paris in hopes of salvaging their marriage. What happened on a September night in a suite at the Hotel Ritz would spark a Hollywood scandal. Jack Pickford had been using a powerful poison, mercury bichloride, to treat a syphilis infection. After one drunken night on the town, Olive Thomas, his wife, had trouble sleeping. According to her husband, she went to the bathroom and swallowed a lethal dose of Pickford's syphilis medicine. Whether it was a mistake made in the dark or an attempted suicide was never determined. I would say, or murder... Thomas was rushed to the hospital, but it was too late. She died five days later. Police ruled her death an accident, but rumors of murder lingered and controversy dogged Pickford. Olive's poisoning by mercury bichloride wasn't particularly odd. Newspaper articles during this time often reported suicides and accidental deaths from mercury bichloride, end quote. On April 8, 1929, Dr. Charles Shepard goes to the Fort Riley dispensary and requests mercury bichloride tablets. The pharmacist, Sergeant Winslow A. Rose, recalls him saying he needs it to clean his bathtub. Soon after, Dr. Shepard writes Grace to tell her that Zanana has agreed to a divorce. He follows this letter up with another saying that Zanana has changed her mind. On May 20th, 1929, Zanana collapses in what Major Shepard terms a nervous breakdown. In those days, that was code for crazy drunk. He also worries that she may have gotten into a batch of bad bootleg liquor. Nurse Clara Brown is called to attend Mrs. Shepard. She finds it odd that Dr. Shepard asks her not to keep notes about the case. She ignores this, by the way. For about the next 10 days, Zanana improves a little. Another army doctor and neighbor of the Shepherds, Major Paul R. Hawley, who looks in on her, suspects some type of poisoning and urges Charles to take her to the hospital. 
Charles says that she refuses to go to the hospital. In the meantime, Charles writes to Zanana's brothers that their sister is gravely ill and likely to die soon. Theodore McCoskey and his wife arrive at Fort Riley from California. After suffering for three weeks, Zanana develops serious internal bleeding, which cannot be stopped. On June 15, 1929, she dies at the hospital. Dr. Shepard announces that she told him she did not wish to be cut open for autopsy. He writes to his darling Grace about his wife's death, adding, quote, My conscience is clear. Unquote. Major Hawley is quite suspicious about Grace's death. He gets the commanding general at Fort Riley to order Charles to sign the autopsy consent form. Zanana's internal organs and body fluids are preserved for forensic testing. In July, Dr. Hawley takes them to Washington, D.C., where Colonel E.B. Vetter tests them and concludes that there is a large amount of mercury in Mrs. Shepard's system. The most likely source, intentional ingestion of a large amount of mercury by chloride. Department of Justice agents begin an extensive investigation of Zanana Shepard's death. When they intercept a telegram from Charles to his niece, Grace Brandon, they immediately zero in on her as his mistress and the motive for what they believe is Zanana's murder by poisoning. The investigation into the murder will take law enforcement personnel all over the world, to every place Charles Shepard has ever lived, even to Nicaragua, where Major Hawley is stationed. Later, the newspapers will characterize the investigation as the most wide-ranging and costly ever conducted by federal authorities. Charles apparently is oblivious to this investigation, he and Grace visit each other and exchange love letters frequently. He buys her expensive gifts, including a car. They make plans to marry in 1930, including plans for an elaborate honeymoon. On March 17, 1930, Major Shepard is arrested at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital for the murder of his wife. He insists that he loved his wife and that his relationship with Grace was purely a close friendship until after the death of his wife. He is in solitary confinement at the county jail in Denver for several weeks before bail can be posted. The trial is scheduled to begin in December 1930. His case will be tried in federal court in Kansas City, Missouri. Listeners, obligatory, not a legal expert, but I think what I'm saying is correct. Major Charles Shepard is on active duty with the U.S. Army, so he could be court-martialed for the murder, tried in a military court. However, when the crime is also a crime in civilian life, like murder, rape, robbery, 
the military justice system usually defers to civilian courts. A strictly military crime would be like desertion or failure to obey a lawful order. If the alleged criminal is on active duty in the military, the military doesn't have to let the case go to a civilian court, but they usually do. Now, Zanana Shepard's murder is committed on federal property, an army post, so only a military or federal court can have jurisdiction. In other words, the murder of Zanana Shepard, even though it happened in Kansas, couldn't be tried in a Kansas court. The murder trial of Dr. Charles Shepard finally begins in Kansas City, December 1st, 1930. It is a sensation. The courtroom is packed. U.S. and international newspaper readers avidly follow the proceedings. The prosecution's case is that Major Shepard poisoned his wife so he could marry his mistress, Grace Brandon. They portray him as an unhappy, aging husband, lusting after a woman less than half his age. On an army doctor's salary, he can't afford to support an ex-wife and a new young wife. So he sees murder as his only option. He plots the murder for several months. He suggests to friends and colleagues and relatives that she is going crazy and may be suicidal. While slowly poisoning his wife, he attributes her worsening health to alcoholism or bad whiskey or even accidentally or on purpose swallowing mercury mouthwash. Finally, he gives her a massive dose of mercury to finish her off, expecting that there will be no autopsy. Then, thinking no one suspects what he has done, he continues to romance Grace Brandon while planning his third marriage. The prosecution calls a number of expert witnesses to testify that Zanana was the victim of a large dose of mercury bichloride administered by Charles Shepard, her husband. Keep in mind that Charles is a physician and expert himself. This is helpful to his defense and he often prompts his lawyers when they are cross-examining witnesses. In addition, defense experts are called to challenge the validity of the results. Listeners, there is lots of medical testimony, which honestly made my eyes glaze over. Obligatory, not a medical expert, so I don't know enough to say much of anything about determining mercury poisoning from analyzing human tissue and bodily fluids. So this is my opinion based on some Googling and what I read in the newspaper accounts. I think Zanana did receive a large dose of mercury, and that's what killed her. From the expert testimony, the amount of mercury in the mouthwash wasn't enough to kill her, even if she drank 
drank, not just accidentally swallowed a little bit, several bottles. So either she swallowed some mercury tablets or she drank something with the pills dissolved in it. How that happened is the crucial question. The prosecution's position is that Dr. Shepard gave her the pills, lying to her about what they were, or perhaps dissolved them in some alcohol, which he gave her to drink. As defense teams do, Shepard's attorneys try to cast doubt on everything the prosecution presents, throwing everything but the kitchen sink in there. Was the testing for mercury done correctly? Or even worse, were the results tampered with or faked? If there was mercury in her system, was it enough to kill her? Could she have been poisoned by bad alcohol? Did she die from too much drinking? Even if she died of mercury poisoning, might it have been an accident or a suicide? Both sides score points. Newspapers call it a battle of experts. However, my sense is that most observers, most importantly the jury, came away with the impression that Zanana died of mercury poisoning, not something else. The clear motive presented by the prosecution is, of course, the love affair with Grace. Her testimony is the sensation of the trial, standing room only in the courtroom. In the newspapers, she's always described as a tall, lanky, young blonde stenographer. She cries on the stand and protests that she knew nothing of the murder. All the correspondence between Grace and Charles is read aloud. The many gifts Charles gave Grace, including jewelry belonging to Zanana, is listed and described in detail. The prosecution tries to portray Grace as a naive young country girl taken in by a sophisticated, dirty old man. The defense paints the opposite picture. Quote, Major Shepard thought he was courting an angel, but he not only found her feet were clay, but that she was an ordinary army post gold-digging flapper. Unquote. The truth is probably in between there somewhere. Grace Lee Brandon was born on the 23rd of February in 1906 in Midland, Texas, to Lee and Elvie Brandon. Midland is about halfway north-south in West Texas in one of the flat parts of the state where there's a lot of oil. In 1929, Lee and Elvie have a large farm in Comanche County in Central Texas. Comanche County, by the way, is 
the birthplace of your host. Grace's brother Buck and his sister Ruthie still live on the farm. So Grace is an unsophisticated country girl who strikes out for the big city of San Antonio to make her fortune. She gets a job working for the U.S. government at Brooks Army Airfield. And she's worked there for several years by the time she meets Dr. Charles Shepard. In the 1920s, Grace would have been called a flapper. Flappers were independent young women. U.S. women didn't get the right to vote nationally until 1920. There's a cute movie with Julie Andrews and I think Mary Tyler Moore from the 1960s called Thoroughly Modern Millie that portrays women like this in the 20s. A post on www.history.com describes these girls like Grace. Quote, the classic image of a flapper is that of stylish young party girls. They smoked in public, drank alcohol, danced at jazz clubs, and practiced a sexual freedom that shocked the Victorian morality of their parents, unquote. Okay, about that sexual freedom, it's nothing like what we think of today. Remember, it doesn't take much to shock Victorian morality. With all the talk of freedom and pushing boundaries in the 1920s, most women still aspire to have a good reputation and settle down with a nice husband and have a family. By 1929, Grace is 23 years old and has been living on her own since her teens. She's an attractive, friendly blonde who likes to have fun. I'm sure she received plenty of attention from the men there at the airbase, and I'm sure she enjoys that. And if men want to take her out for dinner and cocktails or give her gifts, she's fine with that. I don't get the sense that she's promiscuous, just fun-loving, flirtatious, and maybe a little naive. When Dr. Shepard comes along, my guess is that Grace sees him as more of a fling than a lifelong love. However, he pursues her ardently, gives her presents, and offers her a nice, comfortable life as the wife of a prominent doctor and army officer. From their love letters and Grace's testimony, this is okay with her. Not really a scheming gold digger, just a girl looking out for herself. My guess is that she believed, or at least made herself believe, whatever Charles told her. Anyway, whatever the jury thought of Grace, they are left with the impression that Dr. Shepard was besotted with her. An obsessive love 
is often a motive for murder. A bombshell at the trial is the testimony of Clara Brown, the private nurse hired in May to look after Zanana when she first fell ill. As reported in the Denver Post, quote, She launched into the poison story, which was interrupted at every step by the defense, which knew what was coming and fought vainly to keep the statement from the jury. Miss Brown said that two days after she first attended Mrs. Shepard, the latter asked her to do a favor. Get that bottle off the closet shelf and smell it, Mrs. Shepard directed, according to the nurse. Then Mrs. Shepard asked me if it smelled peculiar, the nurse testified. CLKG, defense attorney, was constantly interrupting with objections. This is the bottle from which I drank just before I collapsed, the nurse then quoted Mrs. Shepard as saying, I'm not going to get well. Dr. Shepard has poisoned me, unquote. Defense objections are overruled, and Nurse Brown's testimony is allowed. The defense's last effort to get Major Shepard off on the murder charge is a variation of the blame the victim strategy. Numerous witnesses are called to testify that Zanana was such a heavy drinker that she ruined her own health, physical and mental. They even call Zanana's own grandmother to testify about her drinking. This might easily have led to her death, either accidental or suicide. The prosecution counters with other witnesses who testify that Zanana was a well-groomed and gracious housekeeper, a favorite with the neighborhood children who often drop by to visit her. Again, listeners, I think the truth lies somewhere in between. Functioning alcoholics are adept at hiding the extent of their addiction from people outside their families. As for Zanana being suicidal, the testimony of this is from the weeks that she is ill. The effects of mercury poisoning are pretty awful, so I think it's natural that Zanana, suffering greatly, would say she wants to die. I said that when all I have is a stomach flu. My sense is that she isn't deliriously happy in her marriage, but she's content enough to stick it out the way things are. Even if she found out about the affair, I think she would just ignore it and let it run its course, not commit suicide. On December 22, 1930, the jury in the murder trial of Dr. Charles A. Shepard returns a verdict of guilty, adding the condition without capital punishment, so no death penalty. Major Shepard remains free pending appeals and returns to his position as a physician at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital in Denver, Colorado. He has many supporters, both in the Army and in Denver. They form a fundraising group to help pay bonds and legal bills. The primary basis for Shepard's appeal 
is Nurse Brown's testimony that Zanana told her, quote, Dr. Shepard poisoned me, unquote. Okay, obligatory, not a lawyer. So I'll do my best with this appeal, even though, honestly, all the legalese and splitting hairs drives me crazy. Here goes. Listeners, I've talked about hearsay before. And murder trials being what they are, I'm sure I'll have to again. According to Wikipedia, hearsay is, quote, an out-of-court statement offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted therein, unquote. The reason out-of-court statements, or hearsay, are inadmissible has to do with fairness to the defendant. When the prosecution presents something, the defense must have an opportunity to dispute it. For example, say Annie is on trial for murdering her husband. Mary testifies in court. Quote, Susie told me that Annie said she killed her husband, unquote. Suppose the prosecution uses that testimony to argue Annie killed her husband. That's not fair to Annie, mainly because Mary's on the stand and Susie's not. Susie is the one the defense needs to show isn't being truthful. Now, what if Annie is on trial for murdering Susie? Mary testifies in court, quote, Susie told me, Annie killed me, unquote. Still hearsay, yes. But there is a legal exception for what is termed a dying declaration. Actually, there's a whole bunch of exceptions to the hearsay rule, but this is the one I'm going to talk about for this appeal. A dying declaration exception. Since the dead person can't speak for himself, a credible witness is allowed to. Of course, the defense can argue that the witness didn't hear right, or was lying, or the dying person didn't know what they were talking about, whatever they want to. They can try to dispute what the dead person said, but the testimony, even though it's hearsay, is still legally allowed. In reality, dying declarations are very persuasive to juries. It's just natural to believe that people don't tell lies on their deathbeds. So Nurse Brown saying that Zanana told her Dr. Shepard poisoned her is hearsay. The question is whether it was a dying declaration. The lower courts affirm that it was, thus admissible testimony. They deny Charles a new trial. Shepard's case makes it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1933, 
and it is a landmark case that's still taught in law school, Shepard versus the United States. The Supreme Court reverses the lower court and orders a new trial. The ruling they make doesn't say anything about guilt or innocence, just that Shepard didn't get a fair trial. Listeners, reading what the court wrote between the lines a little, I think they really thought he was probably guilty, but they wanted to use the case to clarify the rules about dying declaration exceptions to hearsay. Here's what they said. See what you think. Quote, The crime is charged to have been committed by poisoning the victim with bichloride of mercury. The defendant was in love with another woman and wished to make her his wife. There is circumstantial evidence to sustain a finding by the jury that, to win himself his freedom, he turned to poison and murder. Even so, guilt was contested and conflicting inferences are possible. The defendant asks us to hold that. By the acceptance of incompetent evidence, the scales were weighted to his prejudice and in the end to his undoing. Unquote. To me, that sounds like, in the first part, there was plenty of evidence to support guilt without Nurse Brown's hearsay testimony, but... It wasn't really fair to let that in. So they rule, quote, To make a dying declaration, the declarant must have spoken without hope of recovery and in the shadow of impending death. The record furnishes no proof of that indispensable condition. Unquote. In other words, Zanana was not on her deathbed when she told Nurse Brown that her husband poisoned her. She doesn't die for another three weeks and even improves a little over that time. Back to Annie and Mary and Susie for a minute. If Mary is holding Susie's hand as she bleeds out from a gunshot wound to her chest and Susie says, Annie shot me, well, that's a dying declaration that Mary can talk about in court. Other circumstances, it's debatable. In this particular case, it's really not debatable. That was not a dying declaration, and it shouldn't have been allowed in. So, Charles Shepard is retried in federal court in Topeka, Kansas in 1934. He has been free ever since the first trial in 1930. He is even remarried to attractive, wealthy Denver socialite, widow Alice Watt. The cases presented at the second trial are much the same as in the first trial, except, of course, that Nurse Brown is not allowed to say that Zanana told her, my husband poisoned me. My sense of this trial is that the tide is turned in Shepard's favor. The jury finds him innocent in the second trial. The new Mrs. Shepard 
15 years his junior, by the way, so many women with father issues, gushes, quote, I never wavered. I have lived with that man, and I know his kindness and his gentleness. I know that little children love him and that pets trust him. I knew it all the time. This had to be the outcome. They could never convince me that he was a murderer, unquote. Okay, listeners, it's wild speculation time. As I see it, there are four possibilities. Zanana died of natural causes. She died accidentally from ingesting something poisonous. She committed suicide, possibly wanting to cast the blame on her husband. Or Charles murdered her. So natural causes. Well, death due to alcoholism is a possibility with Zanana. I think there is plenty of evidence that she was a seriously problematic drinker. Alcoholics do die suddenly, however, not with the symptoms Zanana has. And she's pretty young still. She's not even 40. So I don't think she died of alcoholism. She clearly has a serious issue going on with her teeth. In the hospital, they pull three of them in an attempt to give her some relief. If the tooth problems have led to a serious infection, that would be very painful and might even fatal. Penicillin was discovered in 1928, but it will be several years before antibiotics are used to treat infections. That's why she's using a mercury mouthwash. However, none of her dentists or doctors seem to feel her mouth problems were the cause of her death. So I'm going to rule out natural causes. What about an accident? I've already said that, at least from what I can tell, there wasn't enough mercury in the mouthwash to kill Zanana, even if she drank several bottles of this stuff. It's possible that she took the mercury chloride tablets by accident, the ones Charles brought home to, quote, clean the bathtub, unquote. But I don't think so. I don't buy that all of Thomas took her husband's syphilis pills by accident either, by the way. Could she have gotten into a bad batch of bootleg liquor? Sure. But then why did she get better and then get worse? That doesn't make sense. And no one else reported any ill effects from drinking at the shepherd home. So let's accept that Zanana Shepherd died of a massive dose of mercury bichloride. Since it's not a natural death and it's not an accident, we're left with suicide or murder. 
Suicide was the defense's strongest argument, in my opinion. Still, death by taking mercury is a very painful way to go. It's not the way I would choose to go. However, there are cases of people doing just that in the 20s. There's a little rash of people trying to commit suicide by taking the coffin pills. It's hard to put yourself in the place of someone who is severely depressed and suicidal. So it is possible that Zanana chose to commit suicide and do it with mercury bichloride. Personally, I think that her husband being a doctor and she herself being a nurse, Zanana could have come up with a much better way to die. It's important to note that she didn't leave a note. So I think if she committed suicide, she did it hoping that her husband would be blamed. That's another possibility. There are some interesting cases where wives do exactly that, commit suicide and try to frame their husbands for it. Maybe telling the nurse her husband poisoned her was a way to make that happen. But then she doesn't die right away. She even gets better. Yeah, if she's committing suicide to frame her husband for murder, she didn't execute her plan very well. For one thing, why not tell more people or mail some letters, plant evidence, something, just generally incriminate him better. So I don't think Zanana killed herself, not because she was depressed and not because she wanted to frame her husband for murder. That leaves us with murder. That's what I think happened. Did someone else, not Charles, murder Zanana? A lover or a jealous wife or somebody? Anything is possible, of course, but no, highly unlikely. Charles murdered her. Something we haven't talked about, listeners, is the deaths of Charles' first wife, Clara, and his daughter, Edna. Since you listen to true crime podcasts, you probably think the same way I do. It's not a stretch to wonder whether Charles murdered them. I could not find when Zanana divorces her first husband. Maybe she and Charles are having an affair while she's still married and Clara's still alive. It's possible. It's very interesting that the tuberculosis expert's wife apparently dies of tuberculosis. Tragic coincidence or murder? I can make a case that Charles purposely infects his wife and then hastens her demise with some kind of poison. Then he does the same thing to his daughter four years later and a year after remarrying? Why? 
only thing I can think of is money, an insurance policy or inheritance, maybe. It would help to have a timeline of the romance of Charles and Zanana, like when she starts working at the sanitarium, when she gets divorced, other stuff. What I could verify is that Zanana marries her first husband in 1910. Clara dies in 1913. Zanana marries Charles in 1916. And Edna dies in 1917. To me, three years is a long time to wait to marry your lover after you murder your wife. And there's no report that Charles benefits financially from either his wife or daughter's death. I don't know. I will tell you that when Charles is arrested, Clara's family voices suspicions about her death to investigators. They express concern about how sudden her death was and report rumors that Charles was having an affair at the time of her death. In 1930, there is an order to exhume the first Mrs. Shepherd's body. Then, none of the newspapers I could find ever say another word about it. Not whether the exhumation was even done. If they examined her body, did they find anything? If they found something, did they just not pursue the matter because they already had Shepard in custody for murdering Zanana? We just don't know, and I don't think we'll ever know. Overall, if I have to decide, I think Clara and Edna's deaths are just tragic. From tuberculosis, which is not uncommon in the early 1900s. So what about Zanana? Well, Charles is almost 60 and saddled with an alcoholic wife who doesn't love him when he meets Grace. In her, he sees his savior from unhappy old age. With her, he can make a fresh start, romance, adventure, maybe even children. They discuss babies in one of the love letters. And by the way, Again, not that I want people to be better murderers, but don't put incriminating things down on paper. I don't think there's any doubt that Charles is deeply in love with Grace or the girl he wants her to be. Why not get a divorce? In the 1920s, divorce is not unheard of. Zanana herself was divorced. However, in the small social circles of the Army Medical Corps, divorce is scandalous and sometimes bad for your career. But considering Zanana's drinking, I think Charles would come off as the sympathetic figure if they divorced. The real downside is financial. Army doctors don't make much money. If Charles has to pay alimony to Zanana, he will never be able to provide the lifestyle he's promised Grace. In my opinion, the decision to murder Zanana comes down to money. 
In April, Charles writes Grace that Zanana agreed to a divorce and then changed her and then she changed her mind. This is after he's gotten the poison pills. Is that what really happened? She says, fine, you could have a divorce, and then thinks about it and realizes she'll have to get by on just alimony. So she says, no. I just don't think that's what happened, because if it did, I think she would confide in somebody. And we never hear that from anyone after she's murdered. Plus, Charles wouldn't want anyone to know he wanted a divorce. That would be incriminating. Now, it's entirely possible that Zanana hears gossip about the affair. The military at that time is pretty much a boys-will-be-boys club. I'm sure lots of military officers have flirtations when they're away from home. I'm also sure that these liaisons are gossiped about among the officers and their wives at Fort Riley. Whether these extracurricular activities are okay with the wife is up to the wife. I think Zanana would be one of the wives it's okay with. If she did know about Grace, I think she'd just ignore it. Tell Charles to have his fling and that's it. If Charles brought divorce up, she'd say, no, you can't give me enough money to make it worth my while. So long story short, Charles plans to murder Zanana. He starts exaggerating her alcoholism and how bad her health is. He hints that she's suicidal. In March, she's having trouble with her teeth, and the dentist prescribes mercury mouthwash. Sonana already drinks heavily, so with all the pain in her mouth, it's easy to see her drinking even more, self-medicating, and certainly accepting drinks from a husband who's pushing them on her. Charles doesn't go to the Fort Riley Hospital Pharmacy until April to get the mercury tablets, so I don't think mercury is what makes her collapse on March 20th. I think she's just really sick from the infection in her mouth, and the mouthwash and alcohol are just making things worse. It's possible that Charles gives her something to make her really sick. I believe Nurse Brown's testimony. She could have lied about what Zanana said, maybe just embellished, but I don't think so. She had her notes to back up what she said. You can make a case that she lied to ensure that the doctor was guilty. However, that's perjury. Um, people do commit perjury, but all that said, I believe her. Which means Zanana is suspicious early on that Charles is doing something to make her sick. He is a doctor, after all, so I'm sure he can think of lots of things. Interestingly, his defense makes that point at trial, saying he would have known 
that mercury would show up on autopsy. So he would have chosen another way, being a doctor and all, to murder her. Well, yes, maybe, but I'm pretty sure he didn't think there would be an autopsy. So did he put something in the whiskey bottle? Nurse Brown said Sonana asked her to sniff. The defense counters that no one else got sick, so nothing could have been in the whiskey bottle. I tend to agree, but the easy way to get anything into Zanana is to just put it in her drinking glass. She drinks cocktails all the time. Then no one else gets sick, and it's easy to wash the dregs away. So maybe. In any case, Charles uses Zanana's illness as a cover to poison her. When he gets the tablets, he either gets her to take them by lying about what they are, or he dissolves them in a drink. He knows it takes a while to die from mercury poisoning, and that it's hard to diagnose because the symptoms can be indicative of many other conditions. He delays taking her to the hospital as long as he can. I don't believe for a minute that she refused to go to the hospital. At some point, he has to take her to the hospital. Otherwise, it might arouse suspicions. But he knows she won't be leaving there alive. I don't think he anticipated anyone thinking it wasn't a natural death. Her family and their neighbors know how much she drinks and how sick she is. It's all he's been talking about for two months. And even if someone asks for an autopsy, they can't do it without his permission, which he just has to not give. With his brother-in-law there to help, he can hurry the body off to California before anyone is the wiser. Unfortunately for him, that pesky Major Holly and Nurse Brown and others have been suspicious from the very start. Major Holly talks the commanding general into forcing an autopsy. So the autopsy gets done and mercury poisoning is discovered. Could this be wrong? Could the test be wrong? Sure. But I don't think so. There were quite a few other doctors and nurses around Zanana while she was dying, and they were all suspicious that some kind of poisoning was going on. In the end, listeners, I'm going to go with their medical instincts. The strong motive and the opportunity. The fact that Charles obtained the mercury tablets right before Zanana's final illness. Dr. Charles Shepard was guilty of murdering his wife. According to the newspapers, Zanana is buried at the famous Forest Lawn Memorial Garden in Glendale, California, 
known as Cemetery to the Stars. I don't know where Clara and Edna are buried. On Find a Grave, I checked California and New York, but I couldn't find any of these women. Grace is on Find a Grave. Now, she makes headlines again a few years after Charles is acquitted. Associated Press, June 2nd, 1936, San Antonio, Texas, quote, In an ironical aftermath of the major Charles A. Shepard murder case, the federal government's star witness, Grace Brandon, was assigned today to a hospital for the mentally unsound. The Brooks Aviation Field stenographer was adjudged of unsound mind by a lunacy court yesterday and ordered confined in a state institution here, unquote. That's sad. Apparently, Grace was having some problems. She was a little unstable. And finally, a neighbor or somebody ended up having her committed. I didn't find any record of Grace after that until 1991, when she's very old and she dies. She is buried beside her little sister, Sally Ruth Brandon, who died in 1994. The grave is located in Conroe, Texas, near Houston. In the obituary of Sally Ruth, it says that she was a secretary with a son and three grandchildren in Pennsylvania. Let's hope Grace didn't have to spend all that time in a mental institution. I hope she overcame her notoriety and mental issues. I hate to think that getting involved with Charles Shepard ruined her life completely. The persistent Major Hawley, who wouldn't let up on Zanana's case, did very well for himself. He has his own Wikipedia page. He was the command surgeon for the United States Army in Europe during World War II. He retired as Major General, two-star general. After the war, he was the medical director for the U.S. Veterans Administration and then the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. He died in 1965 at Walter Reed Army Hospital. Grace and his wife, Alice, his third wife, live out his retirement in Denver. My guess is that they led a quiet, comfortable life as Denver socialites. Alice was quite well off, and Charles would have an army pension. He died in 1958, and Alice died in 1972. They are buried together at Fort Logan National Cemetery in Denver. I hate to say it, but as it turns out, for Charles, I think crime did pay. Okay, listeners, the links to the sources used for this case are listed in the show notes. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to Prison City Murders and write a review for me.
even critical feedback is appreciated. You can email me at prisoncitymurders at gmail.com or comment on the cases on the podcast website, prisoncitymurders.blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, blueberry with no E's, dot net. I also just posted my list of my favorite podcasts, the ones that I listen to. They're on my favorites list on Stitcher. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please don't murder anybody. I don't think you can listen to podcasts behind bars.